0: Well, please, uh, if you haven't already, turn to Nehemiah chapter 7, page 490 of the Church Bibles as we take one last look for the time being at this book of Nehemiah, a book and a series that uh, has been helping us to see from the scriptures what it is that we are about as a church family. We started the series at the beginning of the year and already uh, the second month has rolled around. A A year can Fly by so quickly, and so it is very important for us as a church family to remember what it is we are about as the year continues. And over the past month, what we've seen from this book is that essentially we are about building. That's what we're doing together, beginning or continuing a project that began on this hill some 170 years ago when our people first met here as a church. We are building a city on a hill. The city that Jesus spoke of in Matthew 5 when he said of us, his people, you are the light of the world, you are the city on a hill. That is what we are building together and that's what we've seen through Nehemiah. Nehemiah was part of that project some two and a half thousand years before us and yet we have in his recollections of that work many insights for the work ahead of us. What we saw when we started the series is where a project like this must begin. And that is where he and his brother saw the state of Jerusalem, the big city that they were a part of, saw the trouble and the shame and the insecurity of that city and they were moved to bring their city before their God, asking for his favour to fall once more on their city. Having prayed for their city, they then acted on behalf of their city, began to build and gather together a fellowship of builders who built a wall and a city on the hill in Jerusalem. We saw an amazing picture of that in Nehemiah 3 where we saw men, women and children side by side building this city on a hill. And then in chapter 4 we saw those same people defending the city from any who would oppose it, any who would see it destroyed again. So it's been a magnificent picture so far that this book has given us and as we dip back into it again this morning in chapter 7 we come to another significant moment in this project. Really the moment that all of what we've seen so far has been building up to. The moment that the city is completed. The walls are finished, the gates, the doors are all in place. Have a look at verse 4 of chapter 7. Nehemiah looks around this city and says, Wow, because the city they had built together was now large and spacious. Walls all around it, doors in place. It's like one of those episodes from one of those renovation shows where you see the before picture, this, this derelict building and then you see them rush in and do all sorts of work and then you see the after picture and just the, the gasps uh, from those who live there. Well, that's the sort of picture we have here in verse 4 as Nehemiah looks around a now large and spacious city where before there was only walls of rubble and gates burnt. Now there is a city with majestic doors Doors that they would shut uh, over the night time but uh, at, the, at the heat of the day they would open them again. And here in verse 3 we're, we're told as the sun is setting there is Nehemiah at his post watching as the sun goes down looking at the, the fruit of all their work. It be a great moment wouldn't it? Surely this is a time for celebration for, for rest and rejoicing at all they've done together. Well, the work finished. But not for Nehemiah. Have a look again at verse 4. He looks around, no doubt happy with the large and spacious city that they have built. But there's a problem. You see, the project was never about doors and bolts and bars and bricks and mortar. The fact that the walls and the gates were destroyed was only part of the problem. The real problem that we saw back in chapter 1 was that there was a people meant to be there, a people who were meant to enjoy this city and enjoy freedom from trouble and shame, and insecurity. But as Nehemiah looks around in verse 4 at this completed work, he says there are so few people here, so few of us, this large and spacious city and and there's there's hardly anyone here. And he says of the houses, or, or more literally the households, he says so many need rebuilding. We've only just begun, says Nehemiah. The building project that God was undertaking through Nehemiah and the fellowship he gathered around him was a gathering project, not not a project of just buildings and walls. It was building a city where here at last exiles could come in safe, safe from trouble, free from shame, totally accepted. There is no city like this on earth and Nehemiah knew it. There's not enough people here. It's an incredibly attractive picture, isn't it? A large, spacious, peaceful, safe city. And it is exactly what we on this hill are called to be for the big city of Sheffield. We are to be the city by which our God calls to a troubled world, a shame-filled world, an insecure world, come. That's the vision that moves Nehemiah's heart again in chapter 7 as the sun sets over this completed city He looks at the place and he says, we've only just begun. So many households in Fulwood and in Sheffield that need rebuilding. I mean, imagine it. Imagine the people we know being here with us, enjoying this city. I mean, it's not a perfect city because we're in it, but it's a shadow of what's to come. Still good, isn't it? Relationships marked by peace. Acceptance people living lives of confident joy, even sometimes in the face of extremely difficult circumstances. That's what this city is about. Nehemiah looks around and he says, we have only just begun, it is time to dream big. And so in verse 5 he says, so God put it in my heart to assemble, to gather, to build a church. And so what we see in the rest of this chapter is some of the things they started to do to get this gathering process underway. In the first three verses, we see that they needed to appoint roles, people to different jobs, if they were going to gather many into the city. Have a look at verse 1. After the wall had been rebuilt, I set the doors in place. The gatekeepers and the singers and the Levites were appointed. So he starts assigning roles. He starts with the gatekeepers. This city that they had built together, God's city, had walls and gates for defence. They, the walls, the gates weren't open until the heat, of the, the heat of the day and then they were shut again as the sun was setting. But during the day, during the day the gates flung open and welcomed home exiles. Can you picture that scene? Is that not what we are about to on this hill? Welcoming home exiles. And we do it through the gospel of the Lord Jesus. The gospel that declares to us and to our world That God has come to a world in exile. That he has made his home among exiles. That he has gone, as Hebrews 13 tells us, outside the city gate. And there he has given his life away to free people through his own blood. That's what we're about. That's how we welcome home exiles. Because we know that the only way into this city is through him. He, as John chapter 10 says, is the only gate into this city. And we know he's the only way into the heavenly city. for that's how we came in as exiles ourselves with nothing to offer this city but knowing that what he had offered outside the city gates was enough to welcome us in and many like us. And so Nehemiah appoints gatekeepers to guard the city at night and to open it during the day you think about this one plus one initiative that we are a part of this year, that is what we are doing together, welcoming exiles. We've been about it in earnest in the last few weeks with all sorts of guest events, guest services, proclaiming the news of the Lord Jesus, knowing that when that gospel is heard many will not respond, but knowing that there will be times when people will, that they will come in and find peace and security in this city. And so we are to appoint gatekeepers. And second in verse 1 you have the appointment of singers. And as I was looking at this list I thought this is a little odd. You've got this big role of gatekeepers, evangelists, and then you're about to have priests and then right in between it you've got singers. I love this. Our city has a soundtrack as the heavenly city will have one. Our city is to be filled with songs of praise for Jesus. Songs like the ones we read in Revelation where they sing in a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. That's the soundtrack of this city. The Bible tells us our whole life is to be an act of worship. It's the only logical response to God's mercy but it's never less than singing. That's part of it, isn't it? A church without a song is not a Christian church. We are to sing songs that will allow the gospel to dwell deeply among us. Songs that will encourage and embolden our faith. And so we must be careful not to see the songs that we sing together on a Sunday as the stretch your legs part of the service, the, the gap filler before the main stuff. It's so important for us to hear these songs together, hear them sung by those around us. And so important for those who come amongst us who do not know the Lord Jesus to see that the Lord is God and worthy of praise. And so in the same way we are to pray and encourage the gatekeepers amongst us, which is all of us, we need to uphold in prayer and support those appointed as our singers, as our musicians. And so pray for Pete, pray for his team and perhaps if this is your gift, join them. And so we have the appointment of the gatekeepers, we have the singers and then we have the Levites who were the priests. And all throughout the Old Testament, their job was to present to God acceptable and holy offerings as an act of worship to him. Nehemiah appoints Levites again as the city is rebuilt to continue this role, to bring sacrifices for the sin of the people, knowing that there will still be sin. It is the foundation upon which the city is built and on which it remains. The Levites' job is to day after day come and offer sacrifices to God But here's the amazing thing about the city on this hill. Our city is built on a much bigger and stronger foundation than these priests. It is built on our one great high priest that Hebrews 10 tells us has offered one sacrifice for all. This is what it says in Hebrews 10. It says, when Jesus had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God By one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. That's why we remember communion together this morning because we know what this city is built on, that once for all sacrifice. But the amazing thing about this is this role of priest. The Bible tells us now because of that sacrifice we are built into the very fabric of this city and 1 Peter 5 tells us that we are raised up to be priests. A holy priesthood is what we're called in 1 Peter 5. Well, this part of the Bible tells us that this role of priest that was reserved just for the Levites is now for us all. Not just Levites, not just vicars, every single one of us in Christ. And it's an amazing role. The role where once again we, we serve as priests by bringing this word of God, the gospel, to those who have yet to hear it so that they might be acceptable to the Lord Jesus through repentance and faith the goal of bringing that same word to each other, to make each other holy, that we, having received Christ as Lord, will grow to live every aspect of our lives with him as Lord. We are to be priests, knowing that we have the high priest who has done all the work for us. And so if you're a small group leader, know that you are a priest. It takes a priest to do that role. In fact, it takes a priest to be in one. And even the role of visiting, say, a seriously ill fellow Christian in hospital, it takes a priest to do that role. To walk into that situation where where most feel powerless and know that in the gospel you have a word that brings powerful comfort. It takes a priest to do that role. And 1 Peter 5 says you are that role. So here in these first few verses we have the appointment of key roles if we are going to gather a people to this city. And what the major part of this passage does, verse 5 onwards, is it it sees that gathering process begin. Once all the roles are in place, Nehemiah starts to gather people. He gets a list of of people from the whole region, potential exiles who could come in and enjoy the city. And as the list goes on, you see that the vast majority of the list is made up of normal men. Verses 8 to 65 record their names for us. And uh, I have this time, unlike Nehemiah 3, spared you the reading of this list or at least spared the readers the job of reading this list. But let me say once again, like Nehemiah 3, they should not be overlooked because as you look closer they tell a remarkable story. It's the story of a legacy. They are normal men with normal jobs and commitments but they're recorded for us here because of the legacy they began in this city. All we're given is the name of a man, a head of a household, a household that has been rebuilt by God's mercy, but a man responsible for where his family goes from that point on. A man responsible not just for building up his wife and children in the Lord, but all the generations that will follow. And as I looked at this list uh, this week, it reminded me of the danger we have as men of being short-sighted. God is not asking me as the head of a household to to just plan the next week or the next year, but the next hundred years. That's the way our God plans. There is also for me and for many of us here the danger of self-interested planning. Planning for what suits me. For what is most comfortable. And I feel that acutely as a dad. When, When you come home from work and you're tired and you're brain weary and you're hit by this barrage of questions and demands for your attention. From children who just want to sit and chat and play and then later to pray and to read together. Whole generations hang in the balance depending on what decisions I make in those two hours. I have to ask myself, as every dad here does, am I for the future of this city or am I for myself? What I do or fail to do echoes for generations. Generations. We as Christian men need to own the words of Joshua when we say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so if you are a dad here this morning, know you are a patriarch. Some of you will come from a a long line of patriarchs, people in the past who have served the Lord, who you have followed. What a blessing that is. I remember talking uh, to a guy here at this church who said his, his lasting memory of his dad growing up was coming down for breakfast. And there he was reading the Bible and I thought, wow, it was, it was so encouraging and inspiring. Also a bit deflating because I think oh, I have trouble getting up in the morning, let alone sitting there calmly reading my Bible before my children are up. But what a thought to have that as the burning memory of your dad as you grow up. Some of you come from a line like that. Others of you, there is no such legacy to draw on. But by the grace of God, you begin one, this generation. What a thought. And here for me is what is so exciting about building a legacy like that. The thought that those who follow me will find a home in this city like I have. But even better than that, that there will come a day when I will meet them in the heavenly city. Can you imagine that moment? Standing before the throne and next to me is a man who introduces himself as Matthew Reese. Hey, that's my name. He says, I know. I'm your great, 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 great grandson. And see over there, there's Finn, your son. He's a, he was a mighty man of God. My dad told me all about him. What a thought. I'd trade anything this world could offer for that moment. I pray for that moment, wouldn't you? When your great grandson says that when you followed Jesus, your sons and daughters followed you, as did their children, and on and on it went. There's a nest egg worth investing in, there's a golden handshake worth having and let me be clear at this point the task of building a legacy that we see before us is not just for the mums and the dads it's a job for this whole city i remember in kellyville where we were in sydney there was some grandparents who brought their grandchildren along because they knew the parents of the children had no interest whatsoever in jesus and so they made that commitment week in week out to bring them also remember a child bringing her parents To church saying this is really important to me, you've got to come along and over time they heard the gospel, the news of forgiveness and hope that Jesus offered and they became Christians a legacy began, it takes a city to build this legacy a whole church family whether you have children or not whether you are married or not, whether you are young or old is irrelevant to this task you can be involved in the work here as many are right now just over there Involved in the households represented in this church, praying for the families here, providing for the work. We as a city are in the business of rebuilding whole households and as Nehemiah says, we need a long-term view of that task. That's the picture of what we are about and where it leads to is generations and generations gathered to God who met on this hill, who will meet in heaven All because of the sacrifice once and for all outside the city gates. All because of those who followed him out there. As Hebrews 13 says, that is what we are to do. Go with him outside the city gates. The path that the Lord Jesus trod was one of great cost. Only the cursed died outside the city gates. And yet that's where he went for us, to make us clean, to build this city. Hebrews says we are to follow him there to heed his voice, to move outside the city, towards cost and away from comfort. That's what it takes to build this city, to defend this city, to take on the roles that we have seen and to build the legacy that we have seen. This city is built at great cost. And we know this, don't we? But here at the end of our passage, Nehemiah gets even more practical for us. He says in the final verses, in addition to what this project may cost us in terms of our time in addition to what it may cost in terms of the the talents and the gifts that he has given us, it will, it must, it should cost us the money he has given us. That is, after all, why he has been so generous to us. He plans big. The city built on this hill comes at great cost, as it did for the returning exiles. Do you see it there in verse 70? Some of the heads of the families contributed to the work The governor gave to the treasury 1,000 drachmas of gold, 50 bowls and 530 garments for the priests. Some of the heads of the families gave to the treasury for the work 20,000 drachmas of gold and 2,200 minas of silver. The total given by the rest of the people was 20,000 drachmas of gold, 2,000 minas of silver and 67 garments for the priests. Everyone is involved in this work. Do you see it there? And that's been true for us as well. Many people for many years likewise faithfully, generously giving to see this city built on this hill and people gathered here. That needs to keep on happening and it is. In recent times as we've seen that we have a shortfall for the budget of 2009, we have seen some 130 people or whole households review their giving and step up once more. We've seen an extra seven and a half thousand a month given as a result, 90,000 a year. It is amazing. But when it comes to the work before us in 2009 and beyond, that increase is only half of our shortfall. If we are to keep building as we need to, as this city of Sheffield needs us to, we need to step up once more. And do you know what I fear? I shouldn't be fearful about this sort of thing, but I am, and I'll tell you why. I am confident that we can and will meet that shortfall and then some, because our God provides. But my fear is this, that those who are already giving generously here, and there are many, or those who have recently reviewed their giving, and whether it's had to go down because of their situation or up, they will be the ones who step up once more again. Many of them will and it will be magnificent to see and very honouring to God. But there are around a thousand people who gather on this hill on a Sunday and many of us are not standing side by side with them in this important work of giving. It is time for us to step up. All of us. For those of us who are not giving, it is time for perhaps the first time to be involved in this part of the work And for those of us who are giving, perhaps to review again, what we are doing on this hill costs money, lots of it, because what we are doing is huge of scale. You see uh, on your seats what we have for for tomorrow night with the the missionary supper, we see that we are about a global work on this city. It reaches locally and it reaches globally. We are building eternal things, God honouring things together. Let me say, if, if you are here and you are not a Christian, you are yet to come to Jesus in repentance and faith and find from him forgiveness and hope, then this is not a message for you. We do not want your money or expect it, not a penny. What we want for you is to come into this city and find a home. But for the disciples of Christ, for those who follow Jesus, people who are about this work of building this city, it is time for us to step up. How much? Irrelevant, completely irrelevant. Other than the fact that in your situation it needs to be about genuine, cheerful, sacrificial giving. For some that will be curbing your giving because situations have made it that way. For others of us, perhaps many of us, it will be the opposite. And let me say as we finish, if this makes you angry, or you're wondering why this sermon is all about money, the answer is it's not. It's never about the money. It's about our hearts. It's about who our God is. It is about whether it is Jesus or mammon. It is about who our first love is. You cannot say, I am a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. I love God and not give to his cause. This is what our God is about in the world. This is what he has given his son for. So keep praying about this. Talk to each other about it. It is an issue for the whole church family to work through together. Like any family, we need to make arrangements to meet the needs of our family. But unlike any other family on this earth, the plans we make, the work we are about is eternal. And as we finish, uh, have a look at verse 73. See where all of this leads to. The heart for the city, the prayer for the city, the building, the defending, and all the roles we've seen, all the gathering, all the sacrifice and generosity. Where does it lead? Verse 73... The priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers and the temple servants along with certain people and the rest of the Israelites settled in their own towns. It leads to that moment when exiles like you and I and all of those who are yet to come, come in through the gate into the city where God dwells, where he is at the heart of everything we do, where he is enjoyed and the peace and acceptance and security he brings is given freely. It leads to that moment where together we taste and see that the Lord is good. All of which is but just a taste of the feast that's to come in the heavenly city. Can you think of a better reason than to be part of this building project than this? Let's pray.